Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them up. What are you doing down here, you shawny man? It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, a bonus edition here. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon just to tide you over because we talked a lot of FIFA yesterday. Uh, up to about maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a few hours later, there was a, a slight development in that story, in that Sepp Blatter decided... We were talking a lot about Jerome Valk, and the day ended up being about Sepp Blatter. He stood down, and today it's probably more about, uh, well, what exactly is Blatter up to? I mean, he's still going to be in charge for another number of months. Is he going to try and manoeuvre somebody else into position there? He says himself, look, I've been trying for a long time to... Re- make some reforms here and that's what I'm going to focus my last few months in charge uh, on. I'm going, to, I'm going to be the man to bring sweeping change to FIFA or at least a little bit in terms of some of the structures at the very top there. I'm on. I'm here in studio. Ken is over in Berlin. We've just landed, Ken, for the Champions League final. Uh, how shocked were you when you heard the news about Sepp Blatter yesterday evening? Yeah, pretty shocked. I'm pretty shocked. I mean, I'd heard that there was this press conference uh, going to be on. It was called for five and then, um, you know, it was delayed for 10 minutes, then it was delayed till half five, then it was delayed till a quarter to six. And meanwhile, um, from a couple of the journalists who were in the room tweeting about it, you could see that there was something going on there that was a little bit strange, um, where they'd, they'd originally put up um, uh, little, you know, the little name tag things. What do you call those things? You know, the little triangular things that sit... What do you actually call that thing? Oh. You know the thing I'm talking about? It's not a name tag. It's a thing that sits in front of your desk saying who's going to be there. Yeah. Seth Blatter was there, President Blatter or whatever, um, Scala, uh, Domenico Scala, and the press officer, Gregorio. But then they took away the mm-hmm. uh, name, the, the badges or whatever you call them, I went for uh, Blatter and Scala, and just left Gregorio. So everyone was thinking, well, what's going on here? Blatter was supposed to turn up and now he's not. Um, at, that, at that point, I think everybody still assumed that it was going to have something to do with this Jerome Valk story that we mentioned yesterday, some kind of statement from Blatter clearing that up or uh, giving some kind of comment on that. Um, and then he comes out, and almost from the first words that come out of his mouth, which are something along the lines of, 
you know, I've spent, uh, since I, I won the election, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, my time as FIFA president, my 40 years at FIFA, you know, I've been reflecting a lot. And you immediately started think, hang on a second, is he actually, this sounds like a resignation speech. This sounds like the beginning of a resignation speech. And he goes on, and within a few lines, he reveals that he is, in fact, yes, he is, in fact, resigning. I mean, the way that he put it, he, what, to, to lay down my mandate, I don't, I don't believe that, uh, I mean, of course, this is all, I'm hearing this all on through the very, very bad FIFA uh, simultaneous interpreter, because Blatter's speaking in French, so they just immediately turn Blatter down, and you can hear this guy sort of speaking English, who isn't Seth Blatter, yeah. uh, a clumsy sort of voiceover, um, so you didn't get to hear Blatter say these words for himself, but... Yeah, so he, um, that's it, he, he's announcing that he's going, and essentially that there have been uh, elements beyond his control, uh, confederations, uh, people people who FIFA don't, uh, doesn't uh, control, and yet is held responsible for. Um, so he's talking there about people like Chuck Blazer, Jack Warner, you know, Ricardo Teixeira, all of these um, uh, sort of notorious figures in the FIFA family. Um, and Blatter seems to be saying, well, you know, the, these guys have finally got the way. I mean, he, he, you know, the way that he was talking about it, you know, it, it turned out, I, I didn't know, for instance, Owen, that Sepp Blatter, who had just won his fifth presidential term and would, would had, he completed a, uh, had he completed a term, served 21 years as FIFA president. I never realized before yesterday that he was, in fact, a fervent advocate for term limits. Oh, yeah, he feels that it's just, if anyone's involved at that top level for too long, I mean, that's obviously that leaves a lot of things open for potential issues, but it didn't seem to apply to Sepp himself. But of course, it's terrible because then you get like a fossil from the 1970s running a global um, multi-billion-dollar 2015 organization. I mean, Sepp Blatter is essentially the anchor man of sports administrators. In his head, it is still the 1970s. You know, he hasn't really moved on since then. I I honestly think that almost everything that his entire uh, way of running FIFA since then can be explained by the fact that he, well, I suppose, you know, he's nearly 80 years old. I mean, if you look at his career, um, he's had a pretty good, as John Delaney said, Owen, John Delaney, we haven't talked enough about John Delaney here. John Delaney said he's had a bloody good run at it. That was before any of this kicked off, and John Delaney was right. Maybe the only thing wrong with Batters run is that it was too good. Maybe, maybe somebody like Julio Grandona had the perfect length of run. Uh, Blatter, on the other hand, enjoying the rude health that he was telling us about uh, as recently as Friday, uh, <laughs> have survived long enough to have to face some kind of a of a reckoning. Um, we should talk about John Delaney because he has been calling this Owen with uh, uncanny accuracy uh, from the very beginning, and this is what he has to say. Or this is what he had to say on Morning Ireland this morning, uh, and he's echoing comments that he made on Morning Ireland last week. Uh, he says, I think there was a blind loyalty to Blatter, particularly from the Africans and Asians. Some of those countries felt that if Blatter goes, they wouldn't get the funding they were getting. In other words, that the money they were getting was Blatter's money and not FIFA's money. So the message must come loud and clear from UEFA and from South America, because Brazil and Argentina oppose Blatter as well, that this is football funding that will go to fund football projects in parts of Africa and Asia, and that will continue. Um, so the Africans and Asians is what he was talking about them last week. He was saying, you know, they must understand, they must see the light. Of course, um, 
for some reason they didn't listen. No, this is the kind of thing that the, well, the Africans and the Asians, as John Delaney puts it, uh, it's exactly the sort of attitude. And we see it from Greg Dyke as well, uh, Platini, others, essentially all the power brokers involved in European football, or certainly most of them. Uh, the positions are being entrenched here, I think, based on everything that's happened over the last few days, as opposed to being there any sort of mutual understanding, one man stands down and that solves everything. It seems to me that situation is actually going to become more antagonistic as the race to succeed bladder uh, gathers pace. Absolutely, and I totally I think that's exactly what I mean. What what Greg Dyke said was pretty amazing. I mean, Greg Dyke was well, gave this giddy interview on what looked like his lawn, um, where he talked about how excited he was to see this press conference. Then he said, "Oh, you know, he was like if I was the Qatari, if I was organising the Qatari World Cup, I wouldn't be sleeping too well tonight. Oh, you know, they're going to have to watch out now." So I'm thinking, really, you know, that's a bit. Pretty quick off the mark. I mean, I, I don't know what Greg Dyke knows about it. I'm sure he's 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 heard. He's probably privy to some kind of information that I'm not. But I just thought it was a, a little bit um, a little bit confrontational. I mean, Seth Blatter is still the FIFA president. He hasn't actually quit yet. He was essentially saying, "I have to uh, step aside. Uh, we we need to call an extraordinary congress." Uh, because that's how FIFA elects a new president. But, of course, um, you, there has to be a certain time lag. But, you know, if you can't just announce an extraordinary Congress and hold it the next day, you have to give a certain notice period in order to enable everybody to organize, um, arrange to be there. And um, so they have, to, they have to sort all that out. It turns out Domenico Scala is going to do a lot of that. I mean, Bradder in his speech talked about how he was going to devote his remaining months to really cleaning house at FIFA. <laughs> yeah, whatever that means in Bladder's world. Well, you know, I mean, maybe now that he's, he's kind of moving out, he'll have an opportunity to sort of, he'll be, he'll be clearing his desk and he'll have an opportunity to go through lots of old stuff. And who knows what might turn up in those drawers that haven't even been open for years. Who knows what he might find as he clears his desk. Um, I mean, there seems to have been a few people who have, who have turned on him here. I mean, the question is, Owen, did he intend to do this on Friday when he was elected? It was this kind of in the back of his mind? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this election. I'm gonna see off this Prince Ali guy, um, and then I'm gonna resign because, frankly, my position is totally untenable. However, I will win one, a last election and enjoy one last night of glory before the FIFA Congress. But then I will step aside, uh, stepping aside as opposed to resigning. That means I can kind of keep my position for a while, and who knows, maybe use the time between. And my, you know, announcing that I was going to resign and actually resigning in the new election to sort of make a few calls and see if I can't in some way influence what uh, what comes after me. Whereas the alternative would have been pulling out, say, before the election on Friday. That means Prince Ali is FIFA president. Maybe maybe Zepard doesn't want that. Or the alternative is, and this is, this is, to be honest, what I actually believe, because Zepard's tone on Friday struck me, did not, did not, Seemed his his behaviour did not seem to me that of a man who was planning to resign quite shortly. Maybe he is a much more gifted actor than I'm giving him credit for, but I don't think he is a gifted actor at all. Uh, and he was, for instance, he was appealing to God. He, he he said, "God or Allah or you know whatever you want to call it, this great force that's in the universe, give me strength, give me the strength to steer this great ship that we call FIFA to bring this." Uh, mighty boat into clean, quiet waters, and then we will get to the beach and we will play football. We can have beach football on the beach. Let's go, FIFA. Right? Okay. This didn't seem. This sounded to me like a guy who was excited, who was looking forward to, who who, who was happy. He just rubbed everyone's noses in it, and he was looking forward to serving his term. Something changed between that moment 
on Tuesday. Although, when he, yeah, when he eventually stepped down, I did see one of the pieces I read, I think was in The Guardian, suggests that there, the, his advisors are insisting that there wasn't a single silver bullet, is the phrase being used, uh, just that those close to him advised it. But essentially everyone around him was saying, listen, Seth, this is probably a good idea to maybe step aside here, as opposed to it being Valk or, or one specific thing. In fact, one of the characters you brought up in our podcast yesterday, his daughter, I think it was his daughter, Corrine, was the uh, was quite scathing of Seth Pla- of uh, Michel Platini in a previous interview. Supposedly she was quite central to talking her father into maybe uh, maybe thinking better of going for another few years. She was saying, she was saying, let it go. Um, although... Uh, I also wonder if it had something to do with the fact that last night there were also reports emerging from the United States that, in fact, the FBI is investigating Sepp Blatter. You know, he wasn't involved in any of the original indictments, and there was a sense, well, you know, maybe this isn't going to touch him. Um, but if they are investigating him, then, you know, what what, what a dis- disgraceful situation, um, you know, that would be. I mean, I don't, I don't know, uh, Owen, exactly what's gone on here, and I'm sure it's the kind of story. I mean, every time we've talked about it, more stuff has almost immediately come out. So I'm sure there's going to be more uh, coming out about this. Well, we've got another show tomorrow, Ken, so, so uh, we can we can update people on it. That's it. James Montague is ready to chat on the development so far, though. James writes for CNN, New York Times, amongst others, an expert in football in the Middle East. Uh, James, firstly, I was scrolling through your tweets over the last day or so, and there was one intriguing suggestion there. You tweeted that Romario would make a great FIFA president. Yeah, I think he would make a great FIFA president. I mean, I was in Brazil during the 2013 Confederations Cup when they had the the huge anti-FIFA, anti-government um, protests going on there. There was a real anger, palpable anger about the World Cup finals, about the money that had gone missing, um, that the government was supposed to spend on infrastructure and on, on stadiums and had been kind of taken away in corrupt practices and not been given to schools and hospitals. And re- the guy who really kind of led that, led that opposition and really channeled it was Romario, who is an elected politician, is a congressman in, in Brazil. And he has a, uh, you know, he has, a, he has actually distinguished, uh, kind of acquitted himself with this, um, you know, very well in Brazilian politics. And he's clean. Uh, he has this... Um, obviously the aura of being one of the best professional footballers that the world's ever seen, or certainly in the past 30 years. And when a lot of people are talking about having a iconic ex-player as a possible candidate, whether it's someone like Figo or God forbid, Ginola, um, you know, you think, well, Romario ticks those boxes. He's played the, the game at every single level. Um, you know, knows how to, you know, win a world cup, knows how to, to, to play, you know, at the highest level in European football. And at the same time, has the kind of political nous outside of Europe that would make him, I think, would be a very strong candidate if he chose to stand. He also was, uh, has given probably the most eloquent comments since Blatter stepped down. His fall would come as a tsunami to every corrupt leader in the confederations around the world. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but it's no harm uh, issuing a fairly smart soundbite if you are going to campaign to, to become a president. It really is, you know, and it, that is a smart sound. But I mean, I don't think it is true either. I mean, we've we've spoken on here before and had conversations about uh, FIFA and uh, 2022 and 2018. And, you know, I'm very much still of the opinion that, you know, that, that Blatter isn't this evil character at the top controlling this corrupt network. I think that he's somebody who has actually a very small empire at Zurich. And a lot of stuff has happened, perhaps with a blind eye, in the Confederations. That's where the majority of the villainy has taken place. Now, with the vi- what's happened with the uh, with the indictments from the FBI, they, has, they have put a direct channel into FIFA. But in particular, and what's interesting here is it's Jerome Valka. Now, Jerome Valka is a character who has 
pretty much failed at pretty much everything he's tried to do in football. Um, he has very dodgy connections with Avalanche, with Teixeira in Brazil. Um, you know, he's already been fired for, uh, you know, the way that he negotiated contracts between MasterCard and Visa, um, was censored by a U.S. court. FIFA had to pay a 90 million pound fine, a 90 million pound dollar, sorry, dollar fine based on his, the mistakes he's made. You know, he screwed up the 2013 Confederations Cup draw, uh, which is a little thing. And the, the whole mess of 18 and 2022 World Cup finals, the whole fact that it was both those votes took place at the same time and allowed those kind of horse trading was his fault. So it's not, it doesn't surprise me that his fingerprints are all over this. But the, the feeling from speaking to people within FIFA, even three or four years ago, was that, you know, Valker is, is a guy that has a lot of skeletons in his cupboard. And it wouldn't surprise me if he goes down because of this, but doesn't necessarily have a direct line to blatter on it. James, Jerome Valker is Sepp Blatter's hand-picked right-hand man. If yeah. Jerome Valk is, is employed by Blatter to do the work that Sepp Blatter is too lazy and complacent to do, I mean, I'm surprised to hear you echoing, um, in effect, Sepp Blatter's resignation statement that it was these people in the confederations over whom he had no control. He never tried to exert any control. He turned a blind eye to everything that was going on around him. He had warning no, after warning. What, and he what, what this is, yeah, I mean, this, look, this is, by the way, I'm not coming on here to be pro-Blatter. I'm not on here to say pro-FIFA. What I'm trying to give some kind of context to is how the, the organizations actually work. Now, FIFA doesn't have the kind of oversight on, over the confederations that you would expect it to do. And the reason it doesn't have that is because the confederations have stopped it from happening. UEFA has stopped the kind of oversight that needs to happen over those contracts that are made in FIFA's name, uh, whether those are um, TV deals or marketing deals. You know, those are happening in FIFA's name. And it's, uh, the problem is the way I like to look at it, the, the best way of, of explaining this would be to consider the president Say that it's like Barack Obama being elected in the US and then you don't get to choose your cabinet, but your enemies get to choose your cabinet. And essentially, that's what the Exco is. It's his cabinet chosen for other people for him. He doesn't get to choose his cabinet. He doesn't get to choose um, who are the people that get elected in the confederations. They have autonomy. And it's that structure that's allowed this to happen. And yes, he played the structure very well to keep in power. But let's not for one moment believe that, that he is a Darth Vader character you know, that has been controlling things. I think he's been, you know, he's ridden the wave. And I think it was, it, you know, the, the business of the money and the, the manner of trying to keep control became too big a job for him. But do I believe that the true villainy lies with Blatter? No, I don't. I think the true villainy lies elsewhere. But James, I mean, you know, I've never once heard Seth Blatter complain about any of that stuff until yesterday when he was yeah, resigning. He it was political suicide. It was political suicide. He couldn't get elected without it. He could not get elected without it. Look, now, it was more important to him always to be elected to be essentially this ruthless, greedy, sexist, arrogant old fool sitting there uselessly at the apex of this organization, paying himself a gigantic amount of money and absolutely doing nothing to further the cause of football. While all I mean, come on, come on, Ken. What Blatter was, was taking power away from Europe and towards Africa and towards Asia. He's loved in Africa and Asia. And that's something that is really difficult for people within Europe to understand. But it's a truth. It is a fact. There are tangible benefits that FIFA have brought to those areas, whether it's football pitches, facilities, whether it's new uh, confederation or headquarters for, for, for federations rather than confederations, I should say. These are real tangible differences. There is a there's a massive difference in the way that Blatter has been viewed. And let's talk about sexism. You know what? He made a comment in 2004 about short uh, about shorts being tighter. That's true. 
Yet at the same time, women's football on his watch has grown exponentially. And this is a sport that still gets derided by mainstream commentators in England. Now, this isn't in any way trying to um, give a, uh, you know, to pull the wool over people's eyes about what's been going on. There's been a toxic atmosphere of corruption in football, whether that's in the confederations that have been attached to FIFA. So there is, this is not trying to about explaining it. This is just trying to say that the, the, the blatter is somehow being seen as the, the evil through which everything channeled. And I don't think that's the case. And anybody who kind of looks at how um, Platini has operated, how UEFA has operated, the reforms that they've stopped from being implemented, and are trying to kind of reimpose a kind of Eurocentric view of the way football is run, they haven't been looking hard enough and don't really understand what's going on. If you look at his his statement as he left yesterday, James, he, he made this point about wanting to stay there. We've got Nidal got this position where he's said that he's got to go essentially for the good of the game, that the game is bigger yeah. than him and paraphrasing. Uh, he, he's going to be standing over this though for the next few months and people are wondering yeah. whether he's going to try to install his own guy or whatever it might be. But even in the statement, he said, look, you know, I've been trying to fight against this corruption. I, I, it's ridiculous that all these people in, in the, at the top level of FIFA and the executive committee can have all these ridiculously long terms and stay there for life. I've tried to fight this, but I've been shot down on it, which seems incredible for a guy who was yet again going for another presidential term. That's true. And I think that anybody who was close or under, kind of knew what was going on when the fifth term was was coming, uh, the election was coming about, knew that it was unlikely he was going to stand. Something changed his mind. And I think that was the fact that Platini uh, was going to run and he would would have, he had a potential, he had a chance to win. I mean, it'd have been very difficult to win over the African and Asian vote because it's a, it's a very European Eurocentric FIFA that we would have with more power to the confederations. Exactly the opposite of what needs to happen would happen under Platini. So I think that the reason he ran again it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to, but he felt that he had to to stop Platini getting elected and undoing what he saw was the most important legacy, which was to make sure that there's a chamber, a congress of 209 members where football has been expanded across the globe. And you have a one member, one vote system that votes not just on the president, but the composition of the Exco, which is the most important reform that should have come into place, that wasn't put into place, that was opposed by the confederations and which Blatter, if he isn't, you know, extradited to the US on any more charges that come up. I mean, we don't know what's to come, who squealed, who said what. Maybe there's all sorts of dirt on him and, that, and that's all going to happen and he's going to end up in a maximum security penitentiary somewhere in Pennsylvania. Who knows? Maybe that will happen. But if it doesn't and he stays in power or stays in with the last few months of his mandate until the next election comes and he actually implements any of these things which have been said, which have been handed over to this ethics coordinator, you know, that that would be a very real legacy and that's a very real reform and it's exactly the reform that needed to happen you have to ask him why he didn't do it before i imagine it would have been politically impossible to do it before but the, exactly the people that, that have just been mentioned time and time again in england and europe are the kind of people who would clean up fifa sort it out they're the exact opposite of what you need you don't need a platini platini will do exact opposite of what is actually needed which is to make it a proper democratic transparent uh, organization and platini isn't that James, how is it democratic to have a one country, one vote system um, among 209 countries where there's such vast disparities of population? I mean, you're telling me that the vote of a, of a, that you're telling me that essentially that somebody in Brazil who loves the game of football is worth thousands of times less in the eyes of the world governing body uh, as somebody in, say, Gibraltar. 
It's the it's the bedrock of democracy, Ken. What do you, should we say? Should we say that people with a certain uh, IQ should be stopped from voting at general elections? Should we say that people who have a certain wealth can only vote in, in certain elections? No, it's a one person, one vote situation. And this oh, I'm sorry, one second. Yeah, doing it. Ken, what were you going to say? What, what we're talking about here is linking the the electoral power that you have, the vote, the voting power that you have, to the number of people in your country. I mean, it's a ba- it's a basic. It's one man, one vote. Let's count the great. Then China, China would be the most powerful uh, footballing nation on the planet. Do you think that's fair? I think it's fairer than a system in which Gibraltar is as powerful as Brazil. Yeah. Well, Gibraltar's not a, uh, not a member of FIFA, but if it was, then this is exactly the process by which every democracy exists. One person, one vote. One member, one vote. It's far fairer than the alternative. One second, Ken. One second, Any alternative is, 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 is much more unfair and is, will take power away from where it's important. Well, I mean, if you look at the United States, for instance, um, I mean, the, the U.S. Senate is basically two senators per state, but the House of Representatives is elected based on the size of the state, so that California, Texas, and New York have many, many more um, representatives in Congress than North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Wisconsin. And, you know, that's democracy. It's been uh, it's an 18th century form of democracy. I don't think anyone's had any problems with it, and, and everybody agrees that it's a much better reflection of of the makeup of the United States than if everybody just had the same number of representatives. I'm not sure that everybody would agree with you on that, but the fact is one of the positives that have come out of Blatter's reign, and and, and maybe this is just something we're going to have to disagree on, but the idea that every country has one vote, to me, sounds eminently fair, and it sounds like an equitable way to distribute power throughout the federations. Now, the the problem is, is that people then will say, well, who are these people in, in charge who have those votes? whether it's the president or the general secretary or whoever. And this is why you need proper ethics checks on everybody that's involved at every level of soccer. Every, that has to happen. But the idea that one member, one vote is somehow anti-democratic or needs reform, no, that body needs to be given more powers. You, you want to have the ex-co elected by, by that body. You want to have the uh, president elected by that body you want every single figure who's who has any kind of say in that organization elected by the people who represent them that is just it's just an absolute fundamental form of democracy and any other method of doing so not only would it alienate you know the vast majority of people around the world who disagree with it it's anti-democratic it's fundamentally anti-democratic james greg dyke uh, said yesterday if i was the qatari organizers i wouldn't sleep very well tonight uh, that was a qatari spokesperson who responded Quite wittily, I thought, we would urge Mr. Dyke to let the legal process take its course and concentrate on delivering his promise to build an England team capable of winning the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. I know it's something we've talked about in quite heated terms in this yeah. show before. At, at this point, anything around Blatter uh, and particularly around the the, uh, well, the specific, I suppose, the Swiss investigation, which could potentially be more damaging into these two World Cups. At this point, is there anything to suggest that actually Dyke has a point that there could be uh, the World Cup could ultimately be taken away from yeah. Qatar? Greg Dyke doesn't really understand what's going on, right? And if he's connected Qatar with what's going on with these FBI indictments, which is a completely separate issue. He also doesn't really understand that people within FIFA are pretty unhappy that Qatar are hosting this. You know, you've got to understand that it's pretty well known now that the person that voted for Qatar, that we, the only person we know that definitely voted for Qatar was Platini, and that we're pretty sure that Blatter voted for the US. You know, these problems have been created. They've largely been created by Valka. And 
if there is any issue about bribery or people paying for it or a smoking gun for the Qatari uh, World Cup, there'll be many people within FIFA who will be very happy for that to move. But for that to happen, there needs to be a legally watertight smoking gun so that the massive number of UK and European and South American engineering companies who would launch ruinous uh, legal actions, they would bankrupt FIFA in a second. So when you hear like, oh yeah, it's still taking place in 2018 and 2022, they can't say anything else because it opens them up to all sorts of legal challenges. They need to have the evidence that puts them in, into their place. And we talked about this before, yeah. about 2022. You know, th- my, my position is, and it always has been, is that this is, this is a World Cup that is potentially, you know, is the only form of, ref- you know, the only chance of reform for the kafala system. It's the only thing that has put kafala and the treatment of migrant workers on the international agenda. Manchester City haven't done it. The fact that the UAE or even the Qatari government invest heavily um, in football and they own vast parts of London, whether it's Harrods or kind of the Shard or massive amounts of real estate, um, whether it's uh, PSG, none of that, whether it's Barcelona being, uh, you know, their shirt sponsored by the Qatar Foundation or Qatar Airways, none of that has brought the issue of worker rights to the fore. The 2022 World Cup does. And if it's taken away from them, I tell you who's going to suffer. And that's the migrant workers for generations to come. Well, that's something that, as you mentioned, we discussed as a couple of months ago. I'll point people in the general direction of, of that podcast. I don't want to hear that part of it in more detail yeah. but I just thought it was worth asking to see if you thought that had changed in any way uh, based no. on the last couple of days alright well listen James brilliant to talk to you as always thanks so much oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. bakery ooh got involved in a logistics company in Waterford apparently involved in a furniture shop not long we leased a pub in, in Tralee John Delaney could run anything ah ok yeah, well, when he comes up then give me a shout well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too don't forget that oh dear oh dear James, certainly not budging, Ken, on the, the one country, one vote being the way forward. You seem fairly convinced that it's... Uh, maybe it's unfair to carry on the debate after letting James go here, but you, you seem fairly you seem fairly entrenched in your view there that uh, actually it's not it, it's not the right thing to allow the tiny country to have as much power or the same vote as the, the big countries. Well, I don't think... Uh, whatever you call it, it's not really democratic. I mean, democracy has got something to do... I mean, if, you know, democracy is, is ruled by the people. Um, this is the, what we're talking about here is um, nation states, considering nation states to be on an absolutely equal footing, even though maybe the population of one is 50,000 and the population of the other one is 1.3 billion. Now, to be honest, I think that's undemocratic. Uh, and I think that some, some uh, account should be taken. Of, I'm not saying necessarily that it should be directly proportional to population size, um, but I do think that there should be some uh, waiting involved. I don't think that that would result in smaller countries being completely ignored. I mean, if together they had uh, similar types of interests, then you know, there's there's, a, there's definitely going to be a voice there. But I mean, let's not ignore the fact that um, you know, why, why should we downgrade the rights of some? Uh, football people, because we're all football people, part of the football family, just because they happen to be from a big country like the United States or Germany or, you know, Egypt or Nigeria or Brazil or China, and not a, a small country like, you know, Iceland or uh, the Republic of Ireland, <laughs> one of those types of places. Uh, I'll tell you who else is part of the football family again. Tim Roth, the great actor, Tim Roth. I bring his name up because I read your Irish Times piece this morning and you're one of the few people I know who've actually seen this United Passions film uh, and uh, you had a bit of an insight there into, well, how the Tim Roth uh, characterization of Sepp Blatter dealt with the issue of corruption in, on his entrance to FIFA or on, I should say on his uh, ascension to the throne of FIFA back in the late 90s. Yeah, 
Um, well, Tim Roth uh, plays Sepp Blatter. His Blatter was delighted with the performance. Um, he said he thought they had certain qualities in common. Um, I'd say one of the qualities they have in common now is that they both live in really big houses. Uh, I don't know if that is a quality, but I'd say that's a thing that they have in common. Now, um, I remember Roth gave an interview when this movie was coming out. I mean, this movie has been released practically nowhere and has failed everywhere it was, it was released. It's, it's an absolutely disgraceful movie. He said, you know, when I looked at the script, I was kind of like, you know, where's, the, where's all the corruption? And uh, the scriptwriter said, well, you know, it's not really that kind of movie. Uh, so Roth said he tried to, you know, slip a little bit of it in there, sort of give something of the, of the kind of shadiness of, uh, of Bladder's personality, something of the worldly cynicism of this, uh, of this arch-political operator, um, while actually not really doing anything corrupt at all, and in fact vigorously opposing it wherever he sees it, which is not very often. But there, there is a scene which I wondered if it was... Apparently this is a scene that Bladder requested changes to, because in the original version of the scene, Tim Roth is addressing the FIFA exec... Tim Roth, which is to say Sepp Bladder, is addressing the FIFA executive committee, but Bladder requested that it be changed to be the marketing committee, which, not, which is just a, a, a bunch mm-hmm. of drones nobody cares about. You know, the exe- if, this, if it had been the executive committee, then maybe this could have been quite a controversial scene. Um, basically, uh, Bladder, Roth, says... Uh, he sits down and, he's, and he kind of looks around at, at his marketing guys and he's like, uh, the next tournament takes place in South Korea and Japan, far from Europe. Some of you may feel this is a good opportunity to close lucrative deals with certain lobbies. Think again. <laughs> this sport is spotless. There's simply a lot more money involved in ours, which is why from now on we will be exemplary in all respects. The slightest breach of ethics will be severely punished. So one of the guys in the room goes, <laughs> is that a threat, Mr. President? You know, the, the, all the other guys in the room are unbelievably obnoxious. Uh, Blatter goes, I'm not accusing anyone. And another guy goes, they're accusations. And Blatter says, a new protocol. Our federation has almost 200 members. Is there anyone in this room naive enough to believe that all 200 are honest? And the first guy says, I believe we've got 200 gentlemen who should be treated as such. And Blatter says, then conduct yourself as an honest gentleman, and you will be. There are always a few rotten apples. I object, Mr. President. Noted, says Blatter. And then another guy says, President Havelange would never have dared to treat us with such contempt. Blatter says, well, maybe he should have. President Havelange is no longer president. I am. Gerard Havelange presided over our family for 24 years. Did he make mistakes? Perhaps. Not for me to judge. But I'm warning you. All of you. We will play by my rules now. So this is the scene that Sepp Blatter, that was the scene that Sepp Blatter passed. That was how, they, you know, after he'd seen the script, he said, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much what happened. Um, so, uh, Amazing. And, they've been, and Ken FIFA's been playing by Sepp Blatter's rules ever since. Well, I think that's the problem. I think that's exactly the problem. Something like that might even have happened. I honestly think there, there probably was a meeting early on in his reign where Blatter sat everyone down and said, no more corruption and then just didn't do anything about it for the next 15 years. You know what I mean? He said, nobody here is to be corrupt. And we all got that. They're the new rules now. Nobody here. No more corruption. And Everybody, said, yeah, repeat after me. No corruption. No, no corruption. corruption. But as Blatter knows well himself, and in fact he said it last week, he said, um, you can't just ask people to behave ethically just like that. No. If you know that people are going to, you, that you're going to have some dishonest people out there. You're going to have some bad apples, as Blatter always likes to say. You have to then... 
yeah, you have to then make allowances for that and how you run the organization. If there are going to be people who are going to be corrupt and dishonest, then you have to do something about that. It's a, you have to take the responsibility for setting things up in such a way that corruption is where possible clamped down upon. Or that, you know, at least not just left to flourish, you know, because you're sitting there not doing anything, saying, well, hang on, I've, I've asked them to behave like gentlemen, and if, they, if they're not going to do that, then, you know, I don't see what I can do. I mean, that's not really good enough. That might have been good enough in the 1970s when, you know, it was a lot more difficult to trace financial transactions and letters didn't pop up from seven years ago and appear on the Internet and be simultaneously seen by millions of people on social media. None of that kind of nightmarish stuff ever happened in the 1970s. Now you need to do a little bit more. If you want to be president, if you want to pay yourself $10 million a year, if you want to tour the world, getting photographs with all the world leaders and all this kind of thing, you actually also have to do a little bit of work. And part of that involves looking after your own organization, making sure that your bad apples you're always talking about don't infect all the other apples. And Platter never bothered to do that. All right, sounds to me like we're going to be playing by set platter rules for another four or five months anyway, so we'll see what he can get done uh, in any meaningful way, one way or the other in the next uh, in the next little while. In the meantime, can you uh, just, I don't know what you want to do there in Berlin for the next while, just uh, test the pulse of the city there and report back to us tomorrow. The Champions League final is on this weekend. Ireland England is on as well. So we'll have our normal programmes tomorrow, two podcasts as always. This was a, just a little bonus to keep you, as I said at the top, uh, just to tide you over with the very latest on set platter, as it is to this point. Thanks again. Thanks, Thanks very much. You can check out all the other shows on irishtimes.com forward slash second captain. Second. What fun is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.